Welcome to High Point Church. So glad that you've joined us online and you're here with us today. Excited about this this week, Thanksgiving. Man, I love having, uh, you know, a good, large Thanksgiving meal. Um, just one of those things. Yeah, all the fix-ins, all the stuff. Now, I, do, I will have to say, earlier somebody mentioned mac and cheese with beets and carrot. No. Okay, no. I will not even try it. I'm not doing it. Mac and cheese has to be like the original. Lots of cheese and lots of goodness. All right, I'm glad we set that straight. Now we're going to transition and move into a time of giving. If you text HP Info at 97,000, um, it'll send you a link and you can click on there and there, you get all the information on what's happening in the church. You can also hit on the link to, to give. Um, I want to encourage you. This is a time, Thanksgiving, Christmas of generosity. I want to encourage you to give to the church. I also want to encourage you to be generous outside of giving to the church. Um, this is a time where we invite people into our home and, and we open our hearts and we, we give generously for people in need. And here's what the scripture says. In Psalm 112, 5, it says, Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. I want us to remember that over this season as we give, as we reach out to those around us. Um, that good will come as, as we are generous and we give to people outside of ourselves. Excellent. All right, well, today we're continuing our series on living a life on purpose. All right, last Sunday we heard an incredible message from, from Amy. I'm partial. She's my wife. But it was great. She really start, kicked off this series and talked about kind of the foundation of what it means to follow God and live a life on purpose. And where that comes from, it, she talked about it, the, the beginning of that is that we glorify God and that we enjoy him forever. We glorify him and we honor him. Now, today we're going to continue on in the series. We're going to dig a little more in on how we walk that out practically. We're going to look at like a, a pattern of how we do that. When we talk about purpose, we need to make sure that we, we ask this question. What was Jesus's purpose? You know, sometimes we forget about that. We, we, we don't really think about, yeah, Jesus came to earth for a reason, for a purpose. And what was that? Multiple times he tells us, he says this, he says, I came to seek and to save the lost. He says in another spot, I didn't come for the sick. I didn't come for the well, those who are well, but for those who are sick. And then in John 10, 10, this is one of my life scriptures. I love this. He says this, I came to give life. And he says, life that is full and good. Another translation says life of abundance. But I, I, I like to, to sometimes look at different translations because you could pull out different things. This, the, the one that I'm enjoying right now says that it's life that is full and it's good. And I think that goes with what Amy was saying, that we need to glorify God and enjoy him forever. God came so that we could have a full life. You know, the truth is, is that we all long for this. We long for a life that is full of of. of relationships, of enjoyment, um, and a life that is good, one that we participate in what God is doing. What do you imagine when you hear about a life that is full and good? 
It's not a life without problems or difficulties. Sometimes that's what we wish for. I just wish for a life with no problems or difficulties. That's not what the scripture is talking about. That's not a, a life that is full and good, absence of problems and difficulties. Often within the challenges of life is the goodness. The truth is when I imagine a life that is full and good, I imagine something like this, where there's, where, where there's authentic, strong relationships in my life with fa family, with friends. I imagine being part of a, a faith community that is active and that encourages and builds um, others up. I imagine being part of God's ultimate purpose, his larger purpose, and finding for me what he's calling me to do within that. Where's my part? That's, when I think of a life full and good, that's what I think of. And I think that that's what the scripture wants us to press into. Part of, of, uh, of our calling is being part of the church, is walking in community and joining God in what he is doing. I came to give life, Jesus said. I came to give life that is full and good. Proverbs 8.35 says, says it this way. For those who find me, this is God speaking, they find life and receive favor from the Lord. When we find God, we find life. In Matthew 10.9, Jesus says something very similar to what we just read in Proverbs. But right before he does, he says something that's a little challenging and offensive. He says this. He says, you cannot put anything before me. He says, you can't put family, you can't put career, you can't even put your own life. You have to, he basically says, you have to forsake all for me. And then he goes on, he says, right after that, he says, whoever finds life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The scripture tells us that if we press in to Jesus, that if we find God, we find life. Now, if you're a Calvinist and you hear that statement, that, that might not resonate well. So I'm going to just take a, take a pause and explain here. We understand that God is the one who pursues us, that that he has called us, that he pursues us, that he loves us, and that he is the one who draws us to himself. That it's not of our own doing, that it's a free gift from God. When I say when you find God, it means that you walk into that and you experience the goodness of God. You experience his love and his transformation. When we find God, we find life. And it's not like that life like, oh, I found God. Everything's great now. And then you just go about doing your own normal business. No, it's a transformative moment where you experience the goodness of God. And out of that, you choose to walk in his life. That's where you find life. We have to forfeit the life we've known. We have to give that up to truly live in Christ. Have you ever said, I'll never to God? Have you ever said, I'll never move across the world or I'll never go knock on my neighbor's door and you know, ask him if we can pray for him? I'll never, whatever it is. 
Um, we all have the things that we are uncomfortable with. Um, but in God, we can't say, I'll never. We can never say, I'll never. Because we have forfeited that option. We have forfeited our lives. We've given up that right. In our men's group, we just finished going through the book of James. And over and over again in James, he exhorts the people of God who have been dispersed out of Jerusalem. He exhorts them to pursue holiness, to pursue righteousness, to to live completely and fully for God. Multiple times, he says, he tells them to remember that faith, if not accompanied with good works, is dead. When I, when I read that in James, it, it, it feels heavy sometimes, but it's actually freeing if we recognize that it's not us who works this up. It's out of a, a relationship, a transformative relationship with God, where we begin to say, yes, God, I will do that. And you enter into the good works that God has made for us in advance. Ephesians 2.10 says that. It says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which, I love this, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's an incredible statement, that in advance, God has prepared good works for you. Now, if we were all together, I'd have you repeat that. I'd have you say, God has created good works for me. And on your couch, if you want, go ahead. might be a little awkward. But here's the truth. God has created good works for you to do. Already, he has them set for you tomorrow and the next day and the next day. God wants us to walk in his purposes. And in advance, he has already set them up for us. What an incredible relief that we don't have to work this up. God is already moving and active and has created a place for you to do good works. This is the life that is full and good. This is the life where we experience um, our, our living God is when we step out of our comfort zone and we say yes, and we move into what he's doing and fulfill the good works that he's set for us in advance. A few years ago, I was going through a little bit of a, a, a change in my life, and I had to remind myself about this, that I didn't know what was happening. My calling was changing. My purpose was not. But I had to remind myself. I had to step back and realize, okay, yes, not everything is going as I wish it would. You know, we, we've moved here. We thought we'd be planning a church already. And God has, has transitioned me into something different. And I had to step back and remember, doesn't matter what I'm doing. Doesn't matter if, if I'm helping send people on the mission field, if I'm planting a church, if I'm, if I'm working at Starbucks. It, that doesn't matter. God has called me to do good works. God has called me to invest and build in other people. What I have found, what God brings me back to over and over and over again, I think it's good for everybody to have something like this. God brings back to me what, this, that God has called me personally within the, the, his purposes to build people up. 
And that if I come back to that, and remember, no matter what my, my current calling is, my purpose is to build people up in the kingdom and to help people walk and follow Jesus. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves about those things. Okay, so how do we do that? How do we do these good works? How do we walk in the purposes of God practically? Step one in this pattern that I'm speaking of, number one is that we, we, we make Jesus the Lord of our lives. I know that seems pretty simple. That, that seems obvious, like, yeah, thanks, Jason. <laughs> Truly, number one is we make Jesus the Lord of our lives. We recognize and we come under the lordship of Christ. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And a lot of times we go about our, our lives n- not recognizing that or coming under that. We go about our lives doing whatever we want to be doing. Every day we have to say, God, my life is not my own. It is yours. You are the Lord of my life. We no longer see our lives as our own, but as part of God's purposes of what he's doing on earth. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. What an incredible passage. When I was 17, I gave my, my, my life to the Lord. And it was at that moment where I recognized this, that I was chosen by God and that he has made me righteous in his sight and that he has put me on mission and that I have a purpose and a calling. It made all the difference. What, I mean, you probably remember when, when, when this happened with you. And when, that, when, when you have that moment and you recognize that God is above all things and that we have been bought with a, with a price and that we are his, we recognize that no longer our life, life is our own and that we need to walk in his purposes. We have been chosen, we have been purchased, and God has, has made us righteous. That changes everything. Because of that, we submit and we yield to his will, not our will, to his leading and his guiding. The, the thing is, is that he knows better than we do. Now, how arrogant would it be to, you know, say, say to the one who created all things, who, who made you and you know, before you were born, knew everything about you. How arrogant would it be to say, hey, I've got this. You know, just, just let, let me do it. I've got this. I'll call you when I need you. But that's how so many of us live. Can you imagine yourself in an operating room and you're standing with a group of people and you're the one with the scalpel and the surgery of the day is brain surgery. But you're not trained. You're not a brain surgeon. You're just a normal guy who goes about his day. But you're here, and you're about to perform brain surgery. Can you imagine the, just the anxiety? You're probably 
freaking out. And if you're not screaming inside, you're screaming, right? And then what happens? An actual brain surgeon walks up and stands next to you and says, you want me to take this? I, I, I got it. I can do it. At that moment, you're, do you say, no, I've got this? I've got this. I, I'm just going to just cut in here. No. You're like, yes. Take the scalpel. I'm walking away. What a relief. I mean, you would be freaking out. What a relief when the actual person who knows what they're doing shows up. That's what happens in, when, when our life is transformed by God and we become his. The actual person who knows what he's doing shows up in our life. And we yield to his purposes, not our own. So step one in this process, in this pattern, number one is to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Number two, man, and this is so important, is that we say yes. So we make Jesus the Lord of our life, and then we say yes. We are a people who says yes to God. We look in the scripture, and over and over again, we see these heroes of the faith say yes to God. Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, 8, says this. God's calling him right before, it's interesting, right before this, God gives him this incredible vision. He brings them up into heaven and he's picturing the throne room of God and he sees God's glory and he realizes that he is a sinful person and unworthy of God. And it was just such an incredibly humbling moment. But then God comes and asks him this. He says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Who will go for us? And, he, and this is how he responded. He said, here I am, send me. That really has to be our disposition. So we have to recognize that God is majestic, that he knows everything. And we are a people who desperately need his guidance. And when he calls, we have to say yes. We have to say, here I am, send me. Now you might be thinking like, yeah, Isaiah was this great prophet. You might be thinking, you know, that's not me. Like, I am not Isaiah. That's a fair point. Neither am I. Let's take a step back. Let's look at Ananias in the New Testament, in the scripture. He was just a regular guy, a regular church member, who was a faithful follower of Christ at the time. And he, but he appears in Acts 9 because he said yes to God in a crucial moment. Acts 9 is this pivotal moment in the scripture um, where the early church is growing, but it's under persecution. And one of the main persecutors is this guy named Saul, we know as Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And he's persecuting the church. He's seeking out Christians to um, kill him and put him in jail. And the, the Acts 9 recalls Saul's conversion uh, moment into being Paul. And it's an incredible story and, and um, transformative. But we find ourselves here that Paul is now without sight. He's been three days without food and he can't see. And God calls this man named Ananias. And it says that the scripture goes like this. It says, 
Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. That's a good response. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Ananias picked up and, and left. He, he, you, you think about this. Ananias must have been a man who was, who was used to saying yes to God. If God was going to show up and ask him at such a pivotal moment, such an important thing to go and to pray for Saul, whose life just got transformed, and who God knows is going to be an incredible player in the New Testament in the early church. You've got to think that this guy, Ananias, was a guy who had a pattern of saying yes to God. That's who I want to be. I want to be the guy who says yes to God. I want to be the guy who God says, hey, out of this group, or even within, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to ask Jason to do this. And you know the thing is, here's the exciting thing, is he does that every day for us. He has prepared good works in advance. He is coming to you, maybe not in a vision every night, but he is coming to each of us and saying, your name, I've got work for you to do. Will you say yes? We have to be a people who respond immediately and say yes. So the pattern we're talking about here is, number one, we make Lord Jesus the Lord of our life. Number two is that we become people who, who, who make it a habit to say yes to God. And number three is that we lay down our lives for the cause of Christ. Often we think that this is a one-time thing, that we just, just, we just get it one time, say, God, my life is yours, and then move on. But the scripture exhorts us that we daily lay down our lives for the cause of Christ. Romans 12:1 says this, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. I love that. Because of what Christ has done, we give ourselves to God. We respond in such a way. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Do not copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for your life, what is good, what is pleasing, and what is perfect. If we want to walk in the will of God, if we want to walk in the purposes of God, if we want to discover our, even our calling here now in this moment, we have to daily lay our lives down and pick up the cause of Christ and say, God, not my will, but yours. We have to learn. It's not something that we just are able to do tomorrow. We have to learn to walk in the purposes of God. Daily present yourself to God and say, here I am, Lord. What an incredible response Ananias had. Here I am, Lord. When we, when we understand God's great love for us, when we understand the sacrifice he's done that we were bought 
that we are purchased, that we were made holy, and that we are called according to God's purposes. When we understand this, it requires a response. And that response is to say, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. That response is for us to say, yes, Lord, your will, not mine. Yes, Lord, I will, I will walk across the room to that person. Yes, Lord, I will knock on my neighbor's door and ask if, if they need prayer during this time. Or yes, Lord, I will. Fill it in for yourself. Because here's the truth. God has prepared good works for you. And he is speaking to you. And I want to ask you this. If you're not hearing the Lord or seeing where he's working or recognizing that he has things for you, ask yourself this. What's the last thing God asked me to do? What was it? Let's make sure that we're faithful in the small things. Sometimes God just says, hey, get up tomorrow morning and spend a little time with me. I want to be with you. I want to speak to you. I want you to, to, to be transformed by my word. Sometimes it just starts with those small steps of obedience. And then just consistent, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Here I am. Yes, Lord. And recognizing that our lives are not our own that we have to daily choose to lay them down and to walk in his purposes. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you have in advance set good works for us to do. How great is that? Lord, I pray that you'd help each of us walk in those good works. And we know that it starts by fully surrendering to your will and making you the Lord of our lives. And by creating a habit of saying yes and choosing to lay our lives down for the cause of Christ. I pray that our lives would glorify you and honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.